Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, The Rough Road to Self-Awareness, Intention, Attention, and Risk. The talk was given by Juanita Violini on December 10th, 2022, via Zoom. Juanita is an artist and a writer-producer of Interactive Mystery Entertainment, who has been a student of the spiritual path for over 35 years. In this talk, she expresses her passion for the road to self-awareness as the way to know ourselves, and the only road worth traveling if one longs to live a full life. Reference is made to a quote by the teacher, Mr. E.J. Gold, that was used in the description of the talk, in which the attention of the essential or true self beneath the personality we identify with is considered. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Juanita Violini. Hi, everyone. The Rough Road to Self-Awareness. I want to preface this by saying I thought this would be a great talk to give because I've been experiencing some experiences on the road to self-awareness that I thought if I share my perspective of them that they might be useful to you. But when I started to think about what I would say in this talk, it was like 10 octopuses in my brain going, go here, go there, go here. I think I've come up with a way to talk about a non-linear topic. So here we go. I'm going to tell you a bit about my life journey that I think is probably similar to everybody's life journey. I'm going to talk about leaving the easy road of ignoring what is true for myself and taking the rough road to self-awareness. I have a list of questions that I'm starting off with. And the first question I have is, what makes us aware that we have to become self-aware? Why would we even think of anything else? The road that we were told about as children, the road that we were handed, is basically focusing our attention outside of ourselves. So we know that when we go through life with our attention focused outside of ourselves, we live a life that isn't really worth living. In spite of the fact that that's a life that many people live, each of us knows somewhere inside of ourselves that there is something more. I think when we're young, we know that we were born to live a glorious, full, wonderful life, and that somehow that had never panned out. So we're born, and I think it's true, we're born to live a glorious and magnificent life. We really are. That is our birthright. 
And eventually we learn or we remember, we intuit that the only way to access that life is to know ourselves. And the only way we know ourselves is by becoming self-aware. Otherwise, we're just a machine and we're going through the motions of our conditioning, of our upbringing. I have a quote from Gurdjieff. Without self-knowledge, without understanding the workings and functions of his machine, man cannot be free. He cannot govern himself. And he will always remain a slave and a plaything of the forces acting upon him. This is why all the ancient teachings, the first demand at the beginning of the way to liberation was know thyself. And Socrates, an unexamined life is not worth living. And I vaguely remember, and maybe many of you do too, that when I was quite young and I was becoming aware of myself and the world, I noticed that what I saw of the world and what I was told about the world were two vastly different things. And this was very confusing. But being young, I didn't automatically assume that something was wrong somewhere. And being a practical person, I wanted to know what's going on. How do things work? I must be missing something. How do things work? And then eventually, I stopped trying to make sense of the difference between what I was told and what I saw. It was easier. But I didn't really believe what I was told. I just settled on everybody around me is an idiot. That was my childhood stance of life. I also felt super lonely, like the mothership had dropped me off on this planet. So I fell into a deep emotional grief and self-doubt and then a kind of amnesia about what the world really was. I went from having an open, unprotected heart to numbness and repression of childhood trauma. And I think that this is true in varying degrees of all of us. Other circumstances in my life taught me it was best to be invisible and to pay attention to what was happening around me and not to get attached to anything. Luckily, those last two things actually really served me, not at the time, but when it comes to self-observation, paying attention and not being attached are very useful things to have in your toolkit. But I never lost the sense that behind all my mind's chatter and all my restless lethargy, there was something more. And even though I had shut down, some small part of me never stopped questioning. So then the question after seeing how conditioning would run us is, how can I get beyond my conditioning? 
A quote from J. Krishnamurti. So can the mind, knowing its limitation, being aware of its conditioning, go beyond itself? To go beyond, you must know yourself, the motives, the urges, the responses, the immense pressure of what people have taught you, the dreams, the inhibitions, the conscious and hidden compulsions. You must know them all. Only then I think is it possible to find out if the mind, which is now so mechanical, can discover something totally new, something which has never been corrupted by time. So in between bouts of numbing amnesia about the world and life and how it all fit together, and I could tell that it did fit together. I don't know about you guys, but it's always been in some way obvious to me that life works or it could work. It could work a lot better if we just leave it alone and let it work. So I began to pay attention when I would remember that I could pay attention. And I began to wonder about the part that I played in the circumstances of my life. And I started thinking for myself. And this is really key to think for ourselves and to question. And as per Socrates, to examine. Thinking about things is a good start. But then we need to experiment and see if our theories that we have thought of actually are valid. And so with our experiments in life, and I'll get into some examples later, but as we experiment, if we're paying attention to what happens in our experiment, do we need to adjust our thinking somehow? So at this time in my life, I'm probably in my early 20s, and I'm starting also to read a lot. The thing is, when we're born and if there's nobody around to tell us the truth, then we have to try and figure it out for ourselves. It's a pretty tricky, daunting endeavor. Now, I was in my 20s in the late 70s, and there were books starting to be available that I'd never heard of before, actually. So I started to read a lot, trying still to figure out how does the world work? How can I reach the glorious life I know I'm born to live? Anybody here ever read the Urantia book? Have you ever heard of the Urantia book? This was a big deal for a while. This book is about this thick. And Urantia was the name of Earth. And it was supposed to introduce all these high concepts. Anyway, so there was that. And then there was the Seth books by Jane Roberts. Those are maybe more well-known. They're the books that talk about how you create your own reality. This seminal phrase came from those books. And then shortly after that, Carlos Castaneda's Don Juan books came out. 
So I'm reading all these really great books that are making me very optimistic and hopeful that I will be able to see how the world works. But it turns out for all my reading and all my hopefulness, I'm still stuck. Nothing is changing. I have a lot more great ideas, but still where I am. So I clearly needed and wanted help. Who will help me? So another quote from Krishnamurti. You see, that is one of our difficulties. We want to be helped. This indicates a shallow mind, the mind that is seeking help. Such a mind created its own problems and wants somebody else to solve them. Or it goes to somebody to help it uncover the process of its own thinking. So unconsciously, the one who seeks help creates the authority. The authority of the book, the authority of the state, the authority of the priest, the whole business of it. Surely, it is only by our understanding ourselves patiently, quietly, unobtrusively, that we begin to discover, experience something which is not of our own creation. And it is that which brings about help, which begins to discover, experience, hope, which begins to clear the field of our vision. But you cannot ask for that help. It must come to you darkly uninvited. To me, this was good news, bad news, right? (laughs) It was like, no one's going to come and help me. Now what? Because I don't know anything. Somebody's got to tell me. Somebody's got to help me. And Krishnamurti is talking about, well, when you do that, when you look for something outside of yourself that you're going to depend on, That's basically when the trouble starts. That's when we get, so we're not thinking for ourselves anymore. I especially like the line at the end where he says, but you cannot ask for that help. It must come to you darkly, uninvited. So he's talking about dependence and dependence on an authority the authority that we give to things outside of ourselves, that's what blocks us and stops us from knowing ourselves, from being self-aware. This is something that goes really deeply in us. I just see more and more on subtler and subtler levels how I am influenced by unexamined beliefs and assumptions. Even though I can get through a lot of obvious ones, sometimes there seems like there's no end to them. So eventually I figured out that studying different books and different teachings and listening to different talks, those are useful and that they can point us to a door, but it's up to us to go through the door. Perhaps a better analogy is that They can point us towards the edge of the cliff, but we have to jump off because that's what the road to self-awareness 
often feels like I find. It feels like jumping off a cliff. So when I feel a lack inside of myself and a loss and I feel lonely, I don't want to feel that. I want to avoid that. And I don't want those feelings to be true of me. Then I wonder, how can I stop avoiding myself? It turns out that a lot of the thoughts that we have and how we think about things is how we isolate ourselves. And that's why we're lonely. I get stuck in my head and I ignore or I explain away what's going on in my body. I don't want to examine how I'm feeling. If I really hone in on what's going on, on the sensations inside my body, there's stuff there I don't like and I don't want to see, and it's intense. Then I go back to avoiding it. And it seems like, for me anyways, my life is about taking the easy road and ignoring things and then seeing how unsatisfying and unfulfilling that is and then going back to try to know myself. Let's just take a break. Does anybody have any questions about how they examine their lives, how they know themselves or how they avoid knowing themselves? Well, I'm interested in this idea that you brought up about authority and giving the power to the authority outside of myself. I'm looking for permission from somebody. The more I looked at that, the more I saw that it was everywhere. Just in my interactions with my friends, I'm asking for their permission to do something or say something or react in a certain way or be with them in a certain way. And I just saw how prevalent that was, this idea of putting some kind of authority outside myself. And I noticed that there are particular relationships that I do a projection of an authority figure on certain people and then not doing that with other people. So that was very interesting to see that in myself. And then also, having seen that, how do I want to pull that back so that I might And there are certain people that I had actually done this with, work on my relationship with these people. So instead of putting them up on some kind of pedestal or making them an authority or asking permission of them, I would have different kinds of interactions with them as though they were just a friend of mine. Thank you. Thank you very much. Here's the thing. When we give something authority outside of ourselves, we're not being true to ourselves. And self-awareness and knowing ourselves is something that happens entirely inside of ourselves. Actually, to live life, we have to live based on what we know is true for ourselves. And so long as we are looking outside of ourselves for the truth, we don't know if we're true to ourselves or not. We have to find the truth inside of ourselves. The only way we can find out what's true for ourselves is by sitting with our pain, because the truth is on the other side of the pain. 
It kind of goes back to paradox. We'll never be able to be in relationship if we are attached to having a certain outcome in our relationships or in our situations. We have to go inside ourselves and find out what is true for ourselves. And once we know what is true for ourselves, we have to take a stand for ourselves. And with that, we have to be prepared to walk away. Whatever expectations we might have of a relationship or a situation, whatever attachment we might have, whatever identification we might have. Here, I'll give you an example. Here's an example. I have a theater group that we've started and we're putting on a Christmas play. At our last rehearsal, we were sitting around waiting for some people to show up. And I made the comment that I wasn't going to send out a reminder email. I wasn't going to mother the cast. They had the schedule. They would show up. So anyways, one of the actors that was there, after I'd made the comment that I'm not going to mother the cast, started to make comments and call me mom. and. He said it in a very good-natured way, and he got a couple of laughs, and I was furious inside that he would call me mom, and I said, don't call me mom, but throughout the rest of the night, this came up a couple of times, and he would say something, and he'd go, mom, and people would laugh or giggle or whatever, and I was so outraged in myself. And this is where the part of taking a risk in the road to self-awareness comes in for me. I was so outraged and the risk I took was to stay with my outrage and not do anything. I needed to pause, habitually speaking, Like I really wanted to strike out, just habitually to strike out, but I didn't. I just ignored it as best I could, but I couldn't help wonder, running the rehearsal, what is my problem? Why am I so outraged? I think being a mom is a wonderful thing. Motherhood is one of the most powerful, most influential things a person can do. And yet I was furious at being called mom. So what I've noticed in the rough road to self-awareness is that often how we know we can get on that road is that we get some kind of a shot to the system. And this guy calling me mom shocked me. I was in shock with that most notably by my violent reaction to this. Luckily, I had the presence of mind to ignore it and to question myself, what's going on, what's going on, and to feel the outrage. It was super important not to block that, I feel. If we have feelings, it's important to feel them. Optimally, 
so nobody knows what's going on, or most often optimally, so people don't know what's going on inside us. And I discovered that by staying with feeling my anger and questioning it and breathing it, letting it keep me in my body. Oh, and the next day I saw this guy again at a different event and he made some good natured comment and said, mom, after it. And then I'm off to the races again. (laughs) By sticking with it and not slapping a story on it and just honestly trying to figure out what's happening here, what's going on. I finally got clarity about it. And the clarity was, it wasn't about him calling me mom. It was about, I had asked him to stop and he didn't. And it was like, oh, great. That outrage, that was a natural, in a way, lawful reaction. Me punching him like I wanted to, probably not. But the fact that I stuck with the discomfort long enough to get to the other side was super useful to see. In that case, my awareness was that my anger was actually a good thing. Now, I know this guy, and he's a good guy, and I think he had no idea that this was such an issue for me. But once I came to my clarity, once I knew what was true for me, that also meant I have to take a stand on this. I can't just let him call me mom, and I get pissed off, and blah, blah, blah. But now that I know what's going on, I know what I have to say. and. Although it wouldn't apply in this case, but in circumstances like that, if it had been a different person, I had to be prepared to speak up for myself to say, you know what, that is disrespectful. I've asked you to stop and you need to stop. Or if you don't want to stop, I am going to walk away from this whole thing. I am not going to stay and be disrespected. And so that's what I mean by once we know what is true for ourselves, we can't be attached. We only have control over ourselves. And so we can't be attached to other people understanding us a certain way or relating to us a certain way. Other people are going to do what they are going to do. And we can only work on ourselves. The only control we have is over ourselves. But you know what? As we get to know ourselves, it gets easier to walk away from situations that why would you want to be there anyways? What's occurring to me is a consideration of the shadow. Those parts of ourselves that we don't really see clearly, that we don't understand, we don't know about. We can stalk these shadow parts, parts of ourselves that we've suppressed things about and then repressed them. A strong emotional reaction can come up about those things. And that's a clue. Most people just react. 
and then don't really look at themselves. You're describing a situation where you really held this negative reaction and didn't react. And in the process of doing that, came to some understanding. To me, from what you're saying, it sounds like that's about disrespect and became aware of that so you could work with that. Does that sound right? Yeah. It seems a lot of times we all go through life like machines, just reacting to things without really becoming more self-aware about what's going on for us. But I would ask this question, do you think there's a difference between giving away your power, looking outside of ourselves for truth, and being open to help? Is there value in apprenticing, studying with someone who has more experience, who has maybe traveled further on the path and seems to have some understanding that we see and that we're attracted to? Sure. I absolutely think that there's value in apprenticing, but it's one of those discernment things. We can't just take someone's word for something. We can apprentice. We can hear things, but I think we need to feel inside of ourselves the truth of it. So I'm reading a lot of quotes from Krishnamurti. To me, everything he's saying, my body is saying yes. If I wasn't aware of what was going on in my body, if I was reading these quotes and I was just in my head thinking, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. With Krishnamurti, because I feel like he's so spot on, that probably wouldn't be a problem just to agree with him in my head. But I know that there's probably some authorities out there that we need to pay attention to what our body thinks about what we're hearing. Absolutely, it's useful to have someone who has gone further along the path. But we need to test those things for ourselves. We can't rely on a source outside of ourselves. We have to confirm it for ourselves. We have to think for ourselves. What comes up for me is two things. For one thing is I'm the person who's making somebody to an authority. It's not the problem from the book or the person. I'm giving away my center and I'm giving away my true self to this person. It's really easy to blame the government or anybody or the teacher or whatever. It's my projections. So I need to be aware what I'm doing if I'm trusting blindly i'm a blind follower or if i'm really making as you say resonance in my body or in my life or in my being and the other thing is yes self-awareness is what only i can do self-observation and self-remembering this is what i'm doing but i can't do it alone i can't see myself truly without feedback this guy who said mom to you did a wonderful service to you. Yeah, this is why we need the group, why we need other people to see, oh my God, this trigger comes. And for me, it's always the first question, how old is the one who wants to react in the moment? And usually I'm three years old when I want to punch somebody in the face or <laughs> something. So it's like, okay, this is not my adult true self. 
this is a traumatized little child who is reacting to something. And so that's for me very important to self-awareness. I can only do it in myself, but I need people around me or circumstances that I can learn from them. Sure. Thank you. Yes, life is full of opportunities to self-observe. The thing that I've most seen about self-observation and self-awareness lately is how important it is to stay, if we can, in our bodies when the only thing I want to do is shut down. And that's because I'm identifying with something outside of myself. But if I can pause long enough, teetering on the precipice, then I have an opportunity to learn something about myself. And it might not be a flattering thing. And matter of fact, it probably isn't going to be. <laughs> In my experience so far, almost definitely not. Which is also another pothole on the road to self-awareness. Seeing something about ourselves we don't like, and then not judging that. That's a very tricky two-step there. I guess the thing that most excited me about this rough road lately is getting clear about the fact that when I get feeling like something just stabbed me in the heart, then that's a clue, you know, <laughs> that's a clue to stay present. So here's an example of one of my moments. No, it was longer than a moment of becoming self-aware, a situation of becoming self-aware. And this wasn't that long ago. I was at a small business, a really nice little boutique store down the highway. And I really like the guy who runs the store. He's just a cool, really interesting guy. I was out there and I really like him and I want him to like me too. Right away, warning, warning. I'm looking outside of myself, right, for validation. I mean, it's nice if people like us, but we shouldn't let wanting people to like us make it seem like doing something out of integrity is a good idea. So here I am. I want this guy to like me. And I know something about the industry. So I tell him something that is not mine to tell because I want him to like me. I want him to think I'm an insider. Well, he knows this isn't mine to tell, and he calls me on it, and I get a bodily shock. I am shocked. So I feel like I've been punched, and I notice that I want to justify myself. I want to explain something. I want to run out the door, back to that child place again. <laughs> I feel so contracted because I know I was out of integrity. I didn't run out the door. We 
chatted just a short time longer and then I continued on my way and I got a little further down the highway and I pulled over into a rest stop. What I found is when I get a physical impact, a shock, there's this tiny pause in there that will let me interrupt a mechanical reaction. What I found works for me when that moment of impact happens is I tell myself, stop, just stop, stay, stay, breathe. And I tell myself, it's okay, it's okay, breathe, feel what's going on inside. So I went down the road to the rest stop and I pull over because I don't want to shut down the impact of what I'm feeling. And so I just sit there and breathe and feel what's going on in my body and just really know and own that I was out of integrity and that I was out of integrity because I was looking for something outside of myself that I can only find inside of myself. And I think that that's true across the board. How we get ourselves in trouble is that we look outside of ourselves for what's true, which is why, again, even though there's a lot of wise people and wise teachings We have to bring them into ourselves to see if they're true. So one more appalling story. This one's really bad, guys. (laughs) It made me feel really bad. Okay, here we go. Another moment of Juanita's self-awareness program. (laughs) This one, this one still hurts. Okay, so one day we had family and friends over for dinner. And we had a special bottle of wine that we had been saving. And so tonight was the night after years, we are going to open this wine and drink this wine. And the buildup to how great this wine was going to taste was huge. This was a pricey old bottle of wine. So I couldn't wait to see what this wine would taste like. Anyways. There was quite a few of us. There was probably eight of us around the table. And here I am in my mechanical road with my own agenda and my own opinion and my own attachment to this wine. And I look down the table and there's a young man at the other end of the table. And damn it, look at how much wine he got in his glass. He got way more wine than I got. This is what I'm seeing across the table. And as if that wasn't bad enough, (laughs) I said, I actually said out loud, I want as much wine as he got. And as soon as I said that, I heard myself and I was shocked. And then, Someone pointed out to me that actually his glass was smaller. And so it just looked like he had more wine. I got to tell you guys, I was so 
shocked and so ashamed of myself. So there's a couple of things I want to be clear about here. I saw something about myself I did not like. And actually, to compound that one incident, I have been observing how, like, I want the biggest piece of cake. I want the most. I want the best. I want all this. And at this point with this wine, with all these other circumstances, I have to face, I am a glutton. I am. Whoa, that's not really a pretty thing to see about yourself. (laughs) Nevertheless, there undeniably was in front of me. I don't know, maybe and quite likely nobody else at the table maybe even noticed how greedy I was being. I don't know. It was all I could do to stay at the table, not go into the bathroom. It was so excruciating. And I was inside myself, stop, stay, stay, just stay with the feeling and breathe. The title of this, The Rough Road to Self-Awareness, Even though when I started, I knew nothing. I had the intention to have movement. I had the intention to see what I could learn. And then attention. Well, attention, that's the only way I can stay. When I feel that shock that lets me know I'm on the rough road right now, It's really hard to stay focused on that sensation in my body because A, I don't want to, and B, I don't even know if I can. My mechanicality is having me out the door and down the road. So attention, having some kind of force of attention is very important and useful to be able to stay with ourselves. And then there's also that risk risk that we're going to feel feelings and see things about ourselves that we don't want to see or feel. So there's that. We can only do our own work, right? We can have friends and we can have books and we can have teachers, but nobody can do it for us. So we can feel lonely, lonely. But what I realized that even though we have to do this work alone, We are not alone in our experience. I take comfort in knowing that everybody else is going to have these revelations about themselves. We have shared experiences as human beings. And that is part of, for me, what makes me able to stick with the rough road. I've been going through a lot of that same thing, remembering stupid things that I've done in my life. And something that I always try and remember is that I am really the only one that is ever going to remember those stupid things that I did. (laughs) Nobody else cares. Thank you for that, because now I feel so much better that I'm not alone in that. Thank you. When you see something about yourself that you don't like, how do you not judge yourself? 
I'm thinking for myself, sometimes the things that I think are so negative, I'm a glutton. Maybe it's not as negative as I make it out to be. To me, that comes down to, do we like it or don't we like it? Is it positive or is it negative? And that is in the world of duality. That is the world outside of ourselves. But in the world inside of ourselves, I think it might just be what is. Maybe it would inform my action and what I do. But for me, sometimes it's better not to beat myself up about something that is part of my psychology that developed for whatever reason as a human being. Absolutely. As far as not beating ourselves up about the unconscious habits we have or the negative habits we have, even though I can see, oh my God, look at that behavior. I'm a glutton. By bringing awareness to it, I think it gives me a choice now, right? Because it's been a mechanical habit. So that is true. That's what is. It is mechanical. So in that way, good or bad is an opinion. I want to be able to be aware that this mechanical tendency that I have could manifest itself, could show itself. Do I want that? Because now I have a choice. Now that I've seen it, it's easier to see it. And so when a situation comes up, because I've seen it, now I can pause my behavior. Rather than just mechanically grab the big piece of cake, I might have room to go, A, my pants are really tight, probably should take the small piece. Or Tony's been chopping wood and getting the fire out. He'd probably really appreciate the big piece. But I get a pause so that I can maybe have a say in the matter instead of just mechanically proceeding forward. It seems like there's a difference if I feel something about me that I feel negative about. I'm embarrassed or ashamed about something versus if I do something that's hurtful to somebody else. Yeah, well, I think me pointing at that young man's glass of wine and saying, I want that, I think that was hurtful to that young man. I don't know if he noticed. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But it was. It was a hurtful thing that I said from my grief. I was... Just thinking as you were saying, I think it has to do with intention. And sometimes when we're working on ourselves, it seems like to use your example of the gluttony incident, that maybe the person was more like collateral damage. You didn't intentionally want to hurt him. It just happened. I find myself in situations like that where I don't intend to hurt other people. And when I do, I try to catch it and apologize. Sometimes it takes a while. But I think it has to do with intention. My intention is to not hurt other people. And that's something that I have learned about myself through many years of struggling with this rocky road you're talking about. That's not to say it always works out, but sometimes there is collateral damage. And I wish to not do that more. Mm -hmm. We're not intending to hurt one another, but sometimes it happens. And then it can be, like you say, of use to someone. The guy kept calling you mom. I don't think he intended to hurt you either, but there was something there that was a goad 
There's a goad to you in that. And then it became useful to you and you could address it. Intention does play a role in that matter. A couple of things come up for me. As long as we are so focused on ourselves, there's bound to be a lot more collateral damage. And yet, on the other side of that, sometimes we feel moved to say something or contribute something or do something. And just because we might not necessarily have the finesse or the skill to proceed with whatever we're moved to do or say, I think that it's important to attempt it anyway, because how are we going to learn if we don't try things and see where we fall short and then see, oh, that didn't work. I understand now that perhaps a different approach would have been more useful. Which brings us back to being kind to ourselves and not beating ourselves up, because I think it's also true we all do the best we can do, given where we're at and all the rest of the variables. Yeah. Your original couple questions, why do we even engage self-awareness? Is it because I'm embarrassed by my behavior? Is it because I'm hurting another person? Why do we engage self-awareness, this rocky road. So many times it might be because we were told we needed to buy a book or something, that it was a good thing to do. To me, that is such a great question to answer for oneself. Yeah, I think we engage the road to self-awareness because we know it's the only road we're traveling on. Not being self-aware is a life that's not worth living, in my opinion, for myself. And I think that we know that. I think we yearn to live a life that's worth living. And I think we know that that's not possible if we don't know ourselves, because then we're living someone else's lives or someone else's idea of what our life should look like. To me, it's about the yearning and the longing to live a full life. And are we willing to pay for that? Absolutely. Because if we're aware of our suffering, it will lead us to this path. It doesn't seem like we can learn unless we make mistakes. This is maybe where the risk part comes in, in that we really don't know all the time what the best thing to do is here in this circumstance. And then we make a mistake, so to speak, to us. And then we learn from it. A question would be, is self-awareness just about becoming a better person or is there more? And I'm thinking of this in terms of that quote by Mr. Gold about having to apply the subtle force of our attention consistently, unremittingly. Would you comment on that? Sure. That brings me back to we have to pay for it. And one of the ways we have to pay for self-awareness is with our attention. I don't know if it's about becoming a better person that it might be about becoming a real person. I can find that quote. The force of attention of the essential self is slow and subtle. The subtle force of attention is our only weapon against sleep. It is a very effective weapon. If we are able to see that, 
because it is subtle. It has to be applied unremittingly, unwaveringly over a very long period of time. So that's talking about our weapon against sleep, our mechanicality, our habits. And by applying the attention, being aware of when we have a choice to self-observe and stay in our bodies, to me, that's applying our attention. Then we have a chance to wake up and not be so mechanical and habitual. I love that it includes the essential self. I think the essential self is a koan in this whole process. It's such an important aspect of the path. When we no longer are committed to personality or whatever that surface identity is, my experience is that my personality is really uncomfortable with my essential self because it doesn't have that polish. And so your talk to me gave a window, appearing into a window of somebody going into that process of maybe understanding who your essential self is. And in the midst of it, we have to look foolish and we're going to come out the other side more integrated. So do you see your essential self the same as knowing yourself? I would say, yeah. The ability to say, when am I feeling a no to something? Sometimes the personality aspect, the personality level is saying no to God, no to truth. And so it's not always the same if our essential self is saying no to a certain disrespect that's happening in the space and how to address that. Yeah. Being aware and staying with the sensations in the body without slapping a story on them is a challenge and very, very rewarding if we can do it. But that's another thing like the EJ quote, it's like over a very long period of time. Being kind to ourselves, I think, is a big, big step in the road to self-awareness because anything else is just another place to get stuck. I will close with a quote from Rajneesh. Don't think in terms of comfort. Think in terms of freedom. Don't think in terms of safety. Think in terms of being more alive. And the only way to be more alive is to live dangerously, is to risk, is to go on an adventure. And the greatest adventure is not going to the moon. The greatest adventure is going to your own innermost core.